Welcome to today's edition of Daytime Dialogues. It's my pleasure today to welcome John Minster, who many of you may remember from when he was living in Chicago and he was a member of KINS. Today, uh, he's the Associate Director of Ideas at the Tikva Fund, officially part of the U.S. staff, but he lives in Israel. Uh, one of the beauties of telecommunications, of online, of everything else that has happened over the last few years. And John, I just want to start out with a simple thing. You're an associate director of ideas. What does that mean? <laughs> so tick, I think the best way to describe it first is to explain sort of what TICVA is and how we are divided as an institution. So TICVA is an, a Jewish educational and ideas institution. Um, the second part of that that sort of description ideas is sort of where my my uh, my work comes in. So ideas really just means online content. So we have a variety of properties where we produce um, Jewish content. You know, it can be um, online courses. We work very closely with Rabbi Mayor Soloveitchik and we have a website and he has several podcasts that we, we work with him to produce. We have a magazine called Mosaic. So those are sort of like our big three verticals within our sort of little section of our team. And our goal basically is to produce and promote ideas that we as an institution feel valuable, feel are valuable. Um, and that's within the context of the entire organization, which also has an educational part and then a division in Israel, which you mentioned earlier. Um, the educational part, basically we have programs for kids from sixth grade all the way through post-college um, some of these kids are day school kids. Some of them are kids in public school. It can vary depending on the kid. Um, and the programs basically focus on sort of the big things that we're interested in. So that's Jewish tradition, American history, Jewish history, um, how American life and Jewish life intersect. Of course, Zionism and Israel and, and what, it, what the modern Jewish state means today and what it means from a historical perspective. You know, all of these things are things that we really focus on and we try to create content um, for people to, to learn from and find, you know, the best writers, the best speakers, the best teachers to bring to as many people as we possibly can and help them learn and get more connected to sort of our way of seeing things. I assume the most popular, the most well-known things that Tikva does to the broader audience are Rabbi Soloveitchik's podcasts, his speaking engagements, his articles, and also Mosaic, which is a uh, that magazine that's delivered to any, everybody's inbox first thing in the morning, which is a collection of articles. In terms of your involvement, are you talking to Rabbi Soloveitchik regularly, or are you just taking the content that he has and helps fashion it? So I, what? He's also another Chicagoan. Yes, he is. Um, so I don't, personally interact with Rabbi Soloveitchik on a regular basis. My, my colleague uh, Avi does. Um, so when it comes to Rabbi Soloveitchik, I sort of keep his website going on a day-to-day on -day basis. So anytime he has an article up, he has a podcast that he delivers every day. It's a daily podcast right now called Jerusalem 365, where he tries to go through the entire history of Jerusalem in one year. I think right now we are on the Yom Kippur War and everything around that. So he's getting close to finishing. Um, so each day, every non, non Shabbos, non, non holiday, um, I will get a podcast set up and get it sent out to, to our, our, our mini subscribers, um, on the mosaic side of things, mosaic 
is like you said, a magazine, we have sort of two functions. We have an aggregation function. So we take the most interesting articles that we can find from across the web five days a week. And we try to give them to people in sort of like nice little bite sizes. And then they have options to go look somewhere else. But that's sort of our way of giving our daily perspective on things that are happening in the Jewish world. And those articles can vary significantly. You know, they can be, you know, this morning we had a piece of analysis from Ynet that was talking about what happened in, in Janine over the last few days. And then also we'll find pieces about archaeology or about, you know, some some weird piece of American Jewish history. Um, that is primarily my colleague, Andrew. And then also in Mosaic, we have sort of big feature essays that we try to that would feature. So every month we have some kind of significant essay that we feel addresses some particular big challenge in the Jewish world. Um, that can vary significantly. Um, you know, in March, we did an essay about, you know, judicial reform, of course, and we had an, an analyst named Evelyn Gordon who sort of walked through um, where judicial reform is an issue when Israel started, you know, all the way back in the 1990s and where it's kind of come from to the proposal that we see exists today. Um, and then we had a piece about Leon Pinsker. And then last month, we had a, a young writer named Tamara Behrens who wrote a piece about um, anti-Semitism on the American right. Um, you know, in our view, we're usually a little bit more focused about the anti-Semitism you might see from somebody like Rashida Tlaib or Ilhan Omar. However, in this case, we felt there was a development over the last couple of years that merited some further exploration. And then just a couple of days ago, we published a piece about the law of return in Israel. Um, the law of return, it's, it's, it's Israel's most famous law, but basically it is the law that allows, um, it allows any Jew the right to immigrate to Israel and also allows people who are not halakhically Jewish to immigrate to Israel as well. If you have a Jewish grandparent, you have that option. And so this is sort of slowly, people don't quite fully realize it, but it's becoming um, a significant point of contention in Israel that sort of demonstrates the two different sides, you know, these two different political camps. Right now it's focused on judicial reform, but the author in that piece, uh, an analyst who goes by the pseudonym of, of Rafi Demog, he argues that the law of return is sort of going to be the next big sort of cultural flashpoint in Israel. Um, so my role within all of that is both uh, content and promotion. So in terms of content, um, I am helping us come up with ideas, not so much Rabbi Soloveitchik, but a lot more in Mosaic, you know, keeping in mind of what are the big issues that we think are coming up in the Jewish world? What are we seeing? What are people talking about? And then how can we speak into that? Um, our function is not necessarily to talk about like the news, like the judicial reform obviously is a very timely subject and the law of return in some ways is a timely subject. But our goal is to try to take analysis or give analysis that you could read it now or you could read it tomorrow or you could read it a year from now and it's still gonna be relevant to the particular issue. You know, even if, you know, some kind of legislation on judicial reform is passed, the piece that we published, I think, is still going to be one of the most important pieces to understand, not just the particular proposal that was passed, but the entire issue as a whole and how it's affected Israeli society, you know, in the past just couple of years, and then also how it sort of boiled up until then. Um, so that's kind of, go ahead. No, no, I was just trying to figure out how does Tikva decide? And it's weird when you read the Tikva website, and it's a fascinating uh, organization, um, which is funded uh, by a, a person in particular. But when you read the Tikva website, it tries to be a balance of all different kinds of things. But it's hard to be balanced nowadays. 
If you look, if you were looking at the continuum of right to left, of um, re, uh, the Haredi to the Chiloni, where does Tikva fall? So I think Tikva falls on the center right, um, but it is it is center right both. I think religiously and, and also politically, and it's it's not quite the same thing, you know. Right in Israel is a little bit different from from right in America and vice versa. So we are broadly traditional. We care very much about Jewish tradition and also about traditional communities more generally. Um, we are economically free market oriented. Um, we are fiercely uh, supportive of Israel and Israel's right to defend itself and of America's role, not just in the Middle East but in the world as in large part, a doer of good. That doesn't mean America doesn't make mistakes, but uh, you know, in our view, we believe that America has been a, a great good in the world. Um, and so we try to create programs and find people who can speak to particular issues uh, within, within that sort of broad framework of how we see things. Um, and that's true both for in English, for, for our stuff in America, and also, also um, in Israel. Now, I will say, we try very hard to be bipartisan. Um, our goal is not to like pick the Likud party in Israel and say we support the Likud or pick the Democrat party in America and say we support the Democrats. Like we very much try to stay out of partisan politics and focus more on the underlying issues that are animating the biggest things that are affecting the Jewish people in particular. Um, so, and that's where, you know, we also have a commitment to the extent that's possible is to publish voices that maybe don't always align perfectly with us. I think you see this the most in Mosaic and in some of the essays and responses that we publish to those essays. So I mentioned earlier, you know, we published this piece by Evelyn Gordon about judicial reform and that piece, while not um, endorsing, you know, it's not three cheers for the judicial reform proposal, but it is, it is two cheers for it. Um, we also published, I think the most compelling English language argument against that reform by a, a, a professor at Hebrew University called Netta, named Netta Barak Kroen. She wrote a much longer 30 some odd page analysis of why she believes that that, that uh, proposal is, is not good. So we published a shorter version of, of her view because we think it's important for people, uh, even if they don't uh, agree with us, we find one particular side usually more compelling. I shouldn't speak for the entire organization as a whole, but just but generally. Um, but we also think it's important to really engage in a serious way with the other side, because a lot of times today, I'm sure, you know, it can be very hard to do that. You know, I when I left America, I sort of thought of that as like an American thing. And that was like in the American silo. But unfortunately, it's it's a little bit the case in Israel here, too, at least in the past six months or so. So for those who are familiar a little bit with the scene of a philanthropy in the United States, one of the key people who rose on the scene in uh really in the late part of the 20th century was Zalman Bernstein who, or Sanford Bernstein who founded Avichai Foundation and also Tikva. Now the Avichai Foundation has done amazing things and they, you know, even when you go into Yerushalayim, you can't miss the Avichai building, which is right there on Rehova um, Melech George, right up the right up the block. Yeah, yeah. Agency and everything else. I know you know where it is. You're in Yerushalayim. Of course, yeah. But uh, how does Tikva differ from Avichai? So Avichai, sure. So I think one part of it is the U.S. component for Tikva. Avichai is very much focused, at least 
my I'm not in Avichai, so I don't know exactly how they view themselves, but my my perception is that they're focused very much on Jewish culture, and in particular Jewish culture as it relates to Israel. You know, they're doing a lot of education around all of the different things that maybe Americans in English that Americans don't fully understand in, in, about Israeli culture and in Hebrew, Israelis that maybe don't fully understand about sort of traditional Jewish culture. Um, you know, bringing you know traditional Jewish voices and writers and people that maybe they haven't been exposed to um, in a new way. Tikva, we do some of that too. Um, but we are also interested in questions of, of policy and analysis and questions of, you know, in America, one of the biggest issues is obviously educational freedom and how maybe a recent Supreme Court decision might affect American Jews and their ability to, to, to practice Judaism. And of course, the, the judicial reform I mentioned in Israel. So I think we have, and I don't, I don't want to speak for them, but my sense is that we have a little bit of a, a, broader, a broader scope. It's sort of funny because Tikva was not originally envisioned as that. Tikva initially was thought to be sort of um, an institution that would fund other institutions that did things that we we cared about. Um, you know, we were a big supporter of Shalem College in Israel, which was Israel's first uh, private liberal arts school. Um, I think we saw that. I don't don't quote me on that. Um, but I think we sort of realized over time that, you know, there were things that we believed in that we wanted to put out there. And we just felt like we knew you know, we felt like we knew who the right people were to do that. And so we started to just put these programs together ourselves. So, you know, we started some of our educational programs, I think, in 2013. And Mosaic, of course, started in 2013 as well. And before that, there was Jewish Ideas Daily. Um, and over time, we just expanded really rapidly. Um, I don't know how many people we've added just in the last few years. But since I came on, I feel like I see a, a new person every single time. And my not being in New York, it's hard to keep track. Even even in Israel, it's it's hard to keep track with the new people that come in. Um, so we're at a time of really rapid growth, um, and we've have a lot of interesting programs that that we're working on now that are new. Um, but uh, Do you have any yeah. feed for how many people read Mosaic or click on Mosaic? How many subscribers are there, or also in any of the other projects you're doing? Sure. So Mosaic, in terms of traffic, we get about 150,000 um, page views a month, more or less. So that's people clicking on our work and, and reading it. Um, one of the things that I like about it is that we have a very uh, a very high length of uh, length of somebody on the page. Um, that's like a, a metric that you look at for, for for online stuff, and most people are clicking away. But you know, we hopefully reel people in, and you know, sometimes you read a Mosaic essay, you can be sitting there reading for a half hour, 45 minutes, and we really you know, demand of our readers a certain amount of, of investment of their time because we think, you know, it takes time to suss these, these things out before you can get it, really get a full picture. Um, so that's sort of the sense of the mosaic. Rabbi Soloveitchik, it's a little bit smaller. Um, within our community, Rabbi Soloveitchik has, you know, in, in five to 7,000 subscribers, same thing, same thing for mosaic. That's just paying subscribers. You know, we have donors from all, all walks of life, people who, um, this is something I haven't talked about so much, but people who might just give us a few dollars because they enjoyed our particular course or a particular video that we put out. Um, I mentioned earlier, the other thing we do sort of in the content world are online courses. Um, and these courses are usually, usually pre-filmed um, lecture series with different teachers who we like. Um, you know, we just put out a course with Micha Goodman about um, Sefer Shmuel. And before that, we had a course with, with Ruth, Ruth Weiss about the New York intellectuals. Um, and so we just have like a wide variety of courses of sort of interesting 
um, Jewish subjects that people can watch for free. And then after, after they watch or as part of their watching, we ask them, you know, if they enjoyed it, if, if they'd like to support us. Um, How does a, a, a boy who grows up in Traverse City, Michigan, become so invested in Jewish ideas like this? It's a very good question. Uh, it's one that I ask myself sometimes uh, when I reflect back. You know, I was just back in in Michigan um, just just last week, and we're we're going back there here in a few days. And uh, it's always funny when I go home, just because it's a very completely different environment from not just Israel, from where I live today, but even when I was living in Chicago and sort of the environment I was in there. Um, I think ultimately it's it's because I am a person who is very like. As much as I don't want to say I'm very ideological, I am ideological. You know, I really try to put two two feet first into the ideas that I have and things that I believe in, and I try very much uh, to live out those things that I think and that I've learned in my life as much as I possibly can. And so that's where you know, being in my position, um, doing the work that I do, coming to Israel, all those things. You know, I try to live it out as much as I can, and. You know, to me, Jewish ideas and Judaism and Torah are, you know, the most compelling things around. Like I, I hadn't encountered anything like it before in my life until a little bit later. And, you know, once I, I was introduced to it by the person who is now my wife and, you know, it just opened up a whole new world that I had never really thought about before. And it now, of course, affects every little thing that I do in my life and the way I think about my work and, and everything in between. So I think it's just my personality and then my sort of um, determination to try to try to live out as much as possible the things that that I really believe. Now, if you if you were to imagine the next six months in Mosaic or any other course or something else that TIF was going to be promoting, what are the hot topics that people need to think about? Not necessarily the political or anything else, just the ideas that have to be thought about. Sure. So I think what a really you know, Israel had its 75th anniversary this year, and that was obviously a really big deal just to reflect back on you know, what the Jewish state has accomplished and where it came from and, and how it, it came about and, and what it's done in that amount of time. I think another big anniversary that's that's coming up that, you know, I think especially Israelis need to remember, but I think it would be good for Americans to remember too, is I mentioned it earlier, it's the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur War. And, you know, if you want to understand Israel today and how sort of the present, not just political order, but cultural order in some ways that that came about in Israel, a lot of it comes from the Yom Kippur War. You know, the Likud Party only came about after Israelis were disillusioned and, and real and felt, you know, insecure after what happened in the Yom Kippur War, after they were pushed back by the Syrians and the Egyptians. And, you know, in some ways people were concerned that that the Jewish state would would cease to exist. Thank God they were able to push back and recover. Um, but but that war really uh it affected Israeli society in a way that I don't think people fully comprehend today. And, and even I'm still like trying to comprehend more being someone who came here as a, as a new immigrant and learning. Um, there's a great book by uh, a, a, a rabbi in yeshiva, a guy named Chaim Sabato. Um, there's a book called Adjusting Sites, which sort of is a fictional account of, of that war. And it really gives you a sense of, of what Israelis felt and, you know, what, you know, how they felt seeing that happening. Um, and so on our side in Tikva, we're trying to produce a full online course by uh, an, an analyst named Michael Duran, 
uh, about the Yom Kippur War to teach people, you know, what really happened, why it was important, both politically at the time in the 1970s and how America played a factor and also, you know, what effect it had on, on the Israelis today. So I think that's one thing that is certainly on, on our mind and, and something that we're, we're excited about, looking forward to. Um, I think, you know, one other issue that sort of we're, I shouldn't call it an issue, um, where we are also interested in, or we are planning to produce a course on um, Shai Agnon. Um, Shai Agnon is, a, of course, the great Israeli writer and, you know, somebody who really was able to infuse Jewish tradition into his, his fiction in a way that uh, few other writers have. And a lot of people sort of try to, to copy his style in, in some ways uh, because of just how influential and how lyrical a lot of his writing was. So we're also going to produce uh, a series of lectures about Shai Agnon and about his life and about why it was important. Um, and I think that's important too, because it sort of gives people a window into some Jewish culture that maybe they don't necessarily either know about or, or know in depth. You know, this is a guy who won the Nobel Prize, I think in the 1960s as, uh, you know, writing Hebrew literature, which, you know, that would have been unheard of even 40 years ago that somebody could win the Nobel Prize writing in Hebrew, um, writing, you know, fictional literature. And for that to happen and to, to learn about him, I think is important. It's fascinating. Jeff, I'm, I'm sure you've come across uh, Jeff Sachs, who's the translator of Agno. He's going to be our he's going to be our teacher. Oh, he's going to be the teacher. Okay. Yeah, he's, he's the teacher. He's outstanding. I, I guess what I'm fascinated. So we've talked about four different ideas that that Tick was thinking about right now. Um, the, the judicial reform, that was kind of easy. It was on, on in the in the headlines. Law of return. Um, that's also kind of easy because there already has been a lot of discussion about that, redefining it, that it should not allow the non, whether non-halachic or at least not allow the broadest of definition, which has brought so many um, thousands, tens of thousands of non-Jews into Israel. But then all of a sudden, Yom Kippur War, I guess there's an anniversary. So, okay. But Agnum, so is there a group that sits down and says, hey, let's think about what we need to be thinking about? Or do some of these things just kind of pop up? How do you how do you decide on what's the right idea? I think some of these things just pop up based upon, you know, what's happening. Like you mentioned, you know, when, when the headlines come up, so that's always like a place for for um for for like, you know, something we should look at and consider, okay, do we have anything to offer on this particular subject? But I, I think it is as much as is finding the right person who we think can deliver, you know, a piece of um, of content that will last, and that is like the best person to talk about something that we believe is important and that Jews today should remember, you know, a couple of years from now, many years from now, ten years from now. You know, that's that's the idea behind every single piece of content that we try to produce is having that lasting impact, and it's something that. Um, speaks into the Jewish condition in some way, whether that is, you know, focusing on, on fiction or whether it's, it's politics or whether it's, you know, is Israeli security or whether it's, uh, you know, Torah, of course. Um, and so if we think we find the right person, um, to do that particular subject, then we'll try to pounce on it as fast as we can. And sometimes these things happen really quickly. And, you know, sometimes we'll come up with an idea and we'll, identify a writer very quickly and and talk to them and get them on board and then they're working on it and then they have something published quickly other times these things can they can bake for a very long time 
you know, if, if we think, you know, somebody has the right, the right idea, then we try to work with them for as long as possible to produce the, the best piece of, of Jewish content that we think will, will have some kind of lasting impact. Um, so that, that's kind of where it comes from. In terms of people and whether people sit down, you know, in Mosaic, we obviously have our, our you know, a regular editorial meeting. Um, and on our ideas team, we're always kind of bouncing ideas off each other. But I think Tikva is just full of, of people who really care very, very deeply about, about Judaism, about Jewish culture, about the Jewish people. And so anytime somebody thinks they have a particular perspective or they think they have a connection to someone who might be able to do something, we try to explore it. And oftentimes a lot of those don't work out, you know, maybe for one reason or another, the person doesn't quite see eye to eye with our perspective on something, or maybe, you know, they just don't have the time to, to work on what we like them to work on. But, you know, we very much try to take advantage of the people who work for us um, to, to come up with the best ideas. Um, you know, I've had a couple of small ones, but many people have had many more. And, you know, my, my uh, direct supervisor, Jonathan Silver, who edits Mosaic is a, uh, uh, a fountain of, uh, of of smart ideas and smart thinking. Um, so yeah, no, I I find it fascinating because to be able to have an opportunity just to th think about ideas and say, hey, this is a really great idea. Let's teach te people about it, as opposed to always being reactive. The Shayad yeah. the example of not being reactive. Yeah, but on the other hand, are are there people pushing? You know, I. I know on the uh, board of trustees of Tikva, uh, Professor Moshe Kapel is there. Now, Moshe Kapel basically was the idea man who uh, behind the judicial reform. Uh, he's also somebody who's been to Kins a number of times. It's always fun to see the Kins connection and things. But uh, I can't imagine uh, people not having criticized Tikva if they took positions on judicial reform by saying, hey, that's uh, something that was, you know, you, you got the, that guy's here to the right. Are there people who are challenging some of the ideas that Tikva has that says, this really isn't that important, or let's move on, or how come you're skipping this or skipping that? What do you mean by people? Do you mean within the institution, or do you well, mean... I mean, beyond the institution. I, I, does Tikva get criticized, or is it just saying, of course, hey, we're, we're of ideas? Course. Of course. Every, every big institution... Every institution, period, big, small, gets criticized. I'm sure you, as a rabbi running a shul, those people have their their criticisms about one thing we've, or another. We've never had any criticisms at the shul. Ah, no. Okay, the Kins old. is perfect. That was my experience as well in my I my agree. time there. Um, so yeah, of course, you know we we get uh, you know nasty comments as much as anybody does, and I think I think the best criticism that we like is is criticism that is thoughtful and careful and that is that is serious you know so much when you're in the online content business you're just going to see all sorts of stuff of people who you know really don't agree with you about one thing and express that opinion very forcefully and, and not so nicely and that's just you know part of the game um but i think you know we have the blessing of having uh readers and people who who watch our stuff who i think are careful thinkers you know we have a lot of people who you know, at least uh, certainly when it comes to Mosaic, we have a lot of subscribers who say, you know, I really don't agree with your perspective on a lot of things, but I also feel like, you know, you are sort of the iron against my iron. You are the the um, the publication, the institution in some ways that is able to make the best case for the things that maybe I don't agree with, but I need to understand them in order not just to better understand my position, but also understand where other people are coming from when somebody disagrees with me. Um, and so I think we try to accomplish that in many ways, in many ways with our tone, you know, some people 
you know, we'll get some messages or, or notes or people who talk to us who might say TikTok is the craziest right wing, super hardcore organization. They want to do all this crazy stuff. And other people will say, ah, they're, they're not right wing enough. They don't support the people that we want to support the way they want to support them. I think that's largely a, a um, it, it comes from our tone. It comes from our steadfast, um, uh, our steadfast dedication to showing, trying to show both sides of an issue, but to also taking a position, but to take a position carefully, prudently, um, with as much analysis and detail and, and facts and, and um, reason that we can come up with behind it. And to not express that in a way that is bombastic and um, very uh, aggressive and all that, because, you know, I, I don't know about you, but Anytime I'm trying to convince something of someone of something, you know, being bombastic and aggressive is is usually not the best way to go about it. So from our perspective, you know, that's what we're trying to do. Even though bombastic and aggressive is the tone of politics and a lot of life today. It's the great challenge. It's the great challenge for an institution like ours. You know, we are in some ways trying to be an oasis for rational and careful thinking about the biggest issues that are facing the Jewish people at a time when everyone wants to argue and fight and be mad at, at each other. Be'ezrat not so much within Klal Israel, but even that's the case here in Israel to some extent. Um, and, and so to maintain discipline, to sort of be an institution that tries as much as possible to not fall into that very, you know, tempting and easy feeling that's there, you know, it's really hard. You know, people even just sitting at, you know, if you're sitting at a Shabbos table sometimes and somebody says something you really like disagree with on something, it can be really hard sometimes not to like jump in with like really try to make your points and, and show that person what the case is. When a lot of times, you know, trying to identify with identify with them first and making your case calmly and rationally and carefully and to know that, you know, there's a good chance that person won't necessarily agree with you at the end of the day. But if you do that, then maybe the other people around the table, and in our case, you know, the many you know, thousands of people who are reading might come to, to a different view. Which is, I think, one of the hallmarks of, of Tikva, being able to present things rationally, calmly, and with this broad range. The articles that you pull when you aggregate them on Mosaic is, is fascinating where you pull things from. And John, believe it or not, also our time is up. And so I want to thank you on that note of, of rationality and calmness is the perfect place to stop. And Amen. I look forward to seeing you when you come to Chicago, and I wish you continued success and Tikva continued success for all of the important things you do. Have thank you very much, Ravi. Thank you. Have a wonderful evening. We'll have a wonderful rest of our day. <laughs> Indeed. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.